You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here today. We're in the middle of a series called Fearful Faith, which I know maybe at first glance you go, huh, how does fear and faith go together? Um, I think they actually do. They do. Um, your relationship to the God who's created everything is not simply one of like, he's my buddy. Um, you know, he's not somebody that's just, uh, you see throughout the scriptures, whenever anyone encounters the living God in both Old and New Testament, it's not like they're going like, oh, wow, isn't that wonderful? Um, you have more of a woe. The woe is me. I'm ruined. Woe. This is too much. I mean, just in, um, I've been studying a bit um, in the book of Exodus and Numbers, and you find when God comes to the Mount Sinai with all the flashing of lightning, thunder, everything, uh, the people are like, uh, Moses, you go up. <laughs> God asked them all to go up into the cloud and into the fire, and they said, not, 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 just not so much. Uh, you go up, Moses. You, you, we'll see how that goes for you. <laughs> but there is that sense of approaching the living God that should make you kind of tremble in your boots or your knees knock um, or something, but not because... He doesn't want you to come close, not because he is to be, you to be afraid of him, but you to honor and fear him in that sense and trust that he's still inviting you and drawing close to you today. So today um, we are looking at another commandment. We're going through the 10 commandments in this series. And today it's the simple but profound commandment, thou shalt not steal. You shall not steal. Boom. And like we said with murder a couple times ago, you know, you shall not murder. Well, I haven't killed anybody. Um, often people will say, you shall not steal. Well, I haven't robbed a bank. And think, okay, I fulfilled this one, right? Not so fast. We will not necessarily talk about all the times you've cheated on some test or, or kind of clocked out of work a little early compared to when you're supposed to, or how you borrowed something from someone and never quite returned it, or how many songs or videos you've downloaded without, you know, we know. It's kind of like, I think it was Wyatt telling me this morning about, you know, the um, NCAA men's basketball tournament right now. Um, any of you complete a bracket for that? Any of you have a perfect bracket yet? Nobody does. Nobody does. Zero complete perfect brackets. I think that's kind of like when you go, you list the Ten Commandments. Nobody does. I'm not one up here saying, oh, yeah, I've never, you know. This is, and so um, you have to understand that um, the commandments are given because they're telling you you can keep them. They're not given for that. They're given to try to keep us safe, but they're not given saying, you'll never break these. You can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. Um, in fact, um, the prophets in Israel, Amos as an example, they, 
it, it, many of us think, well, Israel went off into exile. They were finally you know, banned from the land and went to Babylon or to Assyria, the two different times this happens in the Old Testament texts. And it was because of all of the idolatry and all these terrible things that were going on in Israel. And the prophets come back, actually, and talk about the very ordinary, everyday kind of sins that don't even make us blush, because we think this is just the way human nature is. And so like for the prophet Amos, he writes this in chapter 8. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over? that we shall sell grain and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. So the merchants in their day were using false scales to sell, you know, give them less and charge more. I don't know if anything's ever changed. Have you, you know? When have you, I mean, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but when have you gone to a car dealer? Sorry, if you're a car dealer, I understand there are honest ones. But, and felt like you got a fair square deal, right? You just know this whole system is set up to try to rip each other off in some form or get more out of it. But... Amos is saying, as well as for us, this is not so. This is not the way God intended. In order to have shalom, in order to have the peace, that word shalom means a lot more than just you know, absence of hostility. It means wholeness, completeness, such love and community and kind of the fabric being woven through society. You treat each one absolutely fairly, and yet Israel didn't even do that. So we could focus on just the negativity that I've just started with, you know? And, and um, yeah, I need to know that I can't keep the Ten Commandments, that I haven't kept the Ten Commandments, um, any of the commandments, um, in order for me not to be a self-salvation kind of person, you know, trying to save myself, say, look at how good I am, God, okay? I need that. But I think there's something to be said for looking Instead of at the don't try to steal, don't do this, don't do that, the negativity uh, of these, the negative kind of prohibitions, to look at kind of the flip side. What is God really intending by these? What, what's going on with these? Uh, the psalmist, uh, like Psalm 119 and many of the other psalms that seek wisdom, ask God for wisdom. I don't have a slide on this. Um, but ask God for wisdom in order for me to keep the law, the Torah. In other words, give me wisdom, O God, so that I may understand your law. Now, the law, thou shalt not steal, is pretty easy, but I think what he's saying, the psalmist is saying, there's something to meditate on, something to really kind of sink into and go like, what's going on with this? What's the foundation of thou shalt not steal? What's going on? And I think it comes up in both Proverbs and in the Psalms itself and in other places within Scripture that show God's character through these different laws, but a God of what I would say generosity. You want to not steal? The best thing to do then is be generous. 
because that's who your God is. So we're going to look at a couple of passages, Proverbs 11 and Psalm 112, that are kind of interesting to me uh, because of the Hebrew word used for the idea of giving. So Proverbs 11, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. In Psalm 112, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Now that phrase, to give freely, in both is actually the Hebrew word pazar, which is an unusual word to use for giving. Next slide. Yes, I know. Who can read pazar, right? Exactly. But it's, uh, Hebrew is written uh, right to left, not left to right. I mean, who says right to left or left to right is the way that everything should be writ written? So pazar, um, it means to scatter it to to actually like spread it out, disperse, cast it all, fling it. The whole idea is in both of these to not be like well. So the opposite, or not the opposite, but the usual word for giving is natan, which is. Um, if anybody know anyone named Nathan, it's this word, right? It means gift. Didn't you know that? Yeah, isn't that great? It's a great name. There you go. Wonderful, right? And usually the word gift means to kind of like transfer. Like I have this and I give this to you. It's very simple. So if you kind of visualize, uh, Natan is here. Pazar is here. <laughs> Spread it out. Give it everywhere. And that's the character that we see in Psalms and in Proverbs of what it means to live as God's people, to reflect his character, how he gives. And that kind of implies a few things. The first is the amount. Um, <clears throat> in other words, it's not just here. Kyle, just have this, you know. It's not like here, I'm going to dole out just enough and hold back. It's more like spread it broadly and spread it to everyone. It's unlimited giving. It's reckless almost. Isn't that kind of amazing that God would say, don't be stingy with it. Just spread it out, man. The followers of Jesus who fear the Lord, who know the Lord, who understand who God is, will respond to that and are going to be generous and to give because they can. And in such a way that most people, if they would know what you're all giving, would go like, this doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. This is bizarre. Your giving would be shocking, eye-popping. But you don't even care to let anybody know what you're actually all giving. But that's kind of the amount that Pazar speaks of and these Psalms speak of. And it's the opposite of hoarding, stealing, taking. Secondly is the attitude. And this comes, uh, I think, really probably the best when Paul talked to the Corinthian church that it was very wealthy, but didn't really, like they were giving the Natan way, you know, I'll give a little here and there. And he spe speaks in 2 Corinthians 9 that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that word cheerful 
Have you ever heard of this before? That word is hilaros in the Greek. Do you know what comes? Hilarity. Yeah, you're kind of joyfully laughing and going like, hey, yeah, look at what I get to do, and I get to have fun doing it. Isn't that great? And isn't that really, when you get down to God's character, joy at the heart of who God is, and joy in the whole story of creation. I mean, have you ever understood? I mean, look at what God has all made. When God himself, being God, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect harmony, and beauty, and glory, and honor that they all had. There was no need for anything. They had everything. They, the three persons, God, the one. And yet, God chooses out of the joy of the Trinity, out of the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit, out of, I can't even explain it. And yet, God decides to not just fling out billions of stars, and create millions of species and do such intricate work in our lives and give so much that even to this day in this world with seven, eight billion people now, there is enough. If not just enough, there's more than enough. And it's only because of our hoarding and warring and everything else that's going on that there's ever scarcities. Do you know the majority of people who are ever starving in this world are facing malnutrition? It's because not that there isn't enough. It's just in the wrong pockets. It's all political. It's all, you know, it's never about the fact that God hasn't given an abundance. It's what we've been doing with it. And isn't it amazing that God gives so much that we can't even comprehend? There is, he created such a huge universe with multi stuff that I can't even understand. And as far and why, he never needed to do any of that. If he wanted to just make human beings and a planet and maybe a solar system, that would have been enough. We don't even need most. I mean, it's, isn't it crazy how much God just says, scatters it all out? and gives it all away. Now, I think I have shared this, uh, and it's a really good book. If you're, um, some of you might be in the business college, right? How's it going? Great. Yeah, well, he's a freshman yet, so. <laughs> no, you guys are doing well, I know. Kyle, are you in business? Yeah, J yeah Jesse's in business. You're a senior? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, going good? Yeah, see, that's what's going to happen. That's what happens, right? But the point is, um, Adam Grant has a book called Give and Take. He's at the Wharton School of Business, which is one of the you know, top dog places to be at. And he wrote this book, and you, you, sh you should watch some of the YouTube videos and stuff that explain it. But he talks about three different ways people transact in this world. That is, it's your success is really tied into not so much your smarts or your work, in a sense, but how you interact with other people. Are you going to be a giver, a taker, or a matcher? You know? Matcher is, oh, I give you this, you give me this. Say, even Stephen. There are a lot of people that work that way, and they think that's the way it works. There's others that are takers. Do you know any takers? They basically seem to, you know, Take all the applause, take all the credit, order people around, get ahead by pushing other people down. And then there are givers. And he writes in this book, 
Above all, I want to demonstrate that success doesn't have to come to someone's, by someone else's expense. And then he goes on and says this, too. This is what I find most magnetic about successful givers. They get to the top without cutting others down, finding ways of expanding the pie that benefit themselves and the people around them. Whereas success is zero-sum in a group of takers, in groups of givers, it may be true that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. What Adam Grant wrote and became a bestseller and is at the Wharton School of Business is just what Proverbs and Psalms has been talking about for 3,000 years. We have known this. I don't know if we've applied it in its wisdom. The point is what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's been around, that one's been around for 2,000 years. And based on the Psalms and Proverbs and everything else and what God has done since the creation of this world. Now, I know some people do this formulistic thing with this. Okay, now I've given 10 and I'll get 100 back. That's not what these passages are saying, but it will say this. You're giving in whatever way it is, it's like planting seeds. And if you hoard onto it, you hold onto it, there can be no bounty. If you keep it to yourself, you are not enriching anyone's life, let alone your own. The only way to actually have abundance is by scattering, is by pizar. Throw it out there. The one of abundance. And finally, this comes down to really the implication for all of life. If you think this is a principle that only works in certain areas, you don't realize that this thing runs through the whole Bible. It is based on God's character and who he is. And, you know, for instance, you try to hold on to your kids. If you hold on to them too tightly, you can lose them. Or um, trying to be happy... If you seek happiness, you probably won't be. But if you seek to make others happy, you probably will be. It's a principle, right? The way to have a rich life is to give your money away, and then you have rich relationships, and you create shalom, peace, wholeness within a community. If you hold on, you lose. And the way to become strong in life is to empower other people. The way to be wise is actually, the Proverbs would say, to humble yourself so that you can learn. And Jesus probably shows it more than anyone. He is the most uh, archetypal example of, the, of the, these principles. He lived them out. And he would say the way to go up is to go down. He would say the way to be powerful is to serve others. Jesus triumphs through losing and giving and scattering Everything he has, he gives it all away. Paul would say it this way in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now Paul uses an economic metaphor here to explain just what Jesus did for you. He is the only human who's been so absolutely generous and keeps the whole commandment, you shall not steal, 
by pouring out everything he has for you, giving his whole life away. And even to a thief next to him on the cross, he gives eternity and says, today, guess what? You're going to be with me in the new Eden paradise. We're going to hang out. Francis Spufford uh, writes about this how the cross of Jesus Christ really defines everything and how that becomes our stated place where we find our wisdom. When you've meditated long enough on such things as the Ten Commandments, you realize they all are fulfilled in Jesus and only in him. There's only one real hero in the Bible, and it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not Moses, and it's not Noah, and it's not Mary, and it's not um, anyone else. It's Jesus. And he writes that this understanding of the gospel is a song of liberation, a startling, startling declaration that power, that love, that justice, that order, that God, the creator of all things, weren't what we thought they were, but came closest to us in paradoxes, wisdom in foolishness, strength and weakness, sovereignty over the immense empire of matter in a helpless sacrifice, and a choking man brought to death by a shrugging government. What's that all about? How will that help me be thinner, richer, stronger, more sexually successful? It won't. It will only help you to become kinder, braver, more tolerant of our inevitable imperfections and more hopeful, more convinced that the worst that could happen to us as humans is not the last word because there is a love we should try to copy in our small ways which never rests, never gives up, is never defeated. Now. If you think um, the goal of a series like this, Fearful Faith, or the goal of any sermon, actually, is to tell you what's wrong with you, you know, to point it out, or to tell you what to do, what right things you should do, I know probably it's come across sometimes for me, it's the last thing I'm really trying to do. What's really going on, the Bible is not about just a bunch of information. It's not about just knowing what's right and wrong. It's not a checklist. What's really going on, I think, in any message is that I want to present things in such a way that you see the beauty of Jesus. Just how beautiful and how wonderful he is. And you fall in love with him all over again. And when you fall in love with him all over again, that love is what can change you. That love is what transforms you. It is not a bunch of head knowledge that's going to do it. It's not a bunch of lectures that's going to do it. It's the fact that you understand that you are loved passionately, eternally, by the one true God who has flung out life in every direction and has given everything and more that you would ever need and wants you to be with him forever. And he's guaranteeing that. He's promising that. That changes everything. That can, take, that can change takers into givers. Right? That can take matchers and they stop calculating and just start enjoying the joy of giving and scattering and pouring out and not keeping track. And then we don't even have to worry about thou shalt not steal because we're not even thinking about it. We're just seeing a savior. Now, Adam Grant said in his book, 
Um, this is the choice people have to make. He says, every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. And I think he assumes, I don't know where his faith stand is. He may, you know, being in a college situation, he's just going to kind of share principles and not really that personal side. But I'll tell you, I can't make that choice without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can't make that choice without knowing Jesus and his love. The real choice I would write is something like this. Every person must respond to the light of Jesus' sacrificial, life-giving altruism, his passionate love for you, pouring out everything to you. Or to then respond and live in the darkness of destructive selfishness. That's what fearful faith is all about. It's not ticking off a box. It's not saying, well, I haven't robbed a bank. It's responding to the grace and love of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day, for this uh, series. Lord, you know how casual we've been with you in a way that we don't respond with kind of that awe and that respect that is due your name and how we have tried to direct our lives and think we know best and have not been humble before you. Lord, you know how we have tried to minimize as well that command, thou shalt not steal, so it sounds like we're keeping it. But what you're really calling for, Lord, is us to respond to your amazing generosity with reflecting that generosity to others and bringing about more um, <laughs> a society that is more just and more filled with peace, shalom. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when you're going to bring your kingdom fully to us, when, Jesus, you return again in glory, and we will know you because of the scars that you still possess for us and the love you have poured out for us, and you will welcome us home. Lord, we think of right now um, Sharon, who is awaiting her welcome home. Bless her in hospice right now. Be with Steve as he grieves over his wife, you know. And uh, thank you for the faith that he has expressed. And um, just bring your Holy Spirit and comfort to him, to Sarah, their daughter, uh, to the grandchildren, to her friends, to us, Lord, here at Thrive, who are also grieving and surprised at such, uh, such a turn of events so quickly, Lord God. We thank you for the gift that she has been to this community here of faith, and we pray that you would, well, that you would be glorified in all that occurs in the next few days, and your healing, Lord, if you want to, if that would give you more glory, we are more than happy to see that. But we commend her constantly knowing that nothing will separate Sharon from your love. Not death, not life, not powers, not principalities, not anybody, not anything. Because you have her. Lord, we pray that you would be with us all as we prepare our hearts to be open to you, to be generous, only in response to your generosity, to love you, to love others, Lord, as you have loved us. And Lord, as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning. We pray, Lord, that you know um, how closed off we've been to you in one form or another. You know how we have denied that, oh no, I'm, I'm doing fine when we have not been following your will. 
You know how we have wandered like sheep. Bring us back to you, Lord. Forgive us, renew us, and restore us. We know that if we say we have no sin, we're just deceiving ourselves, not you. And the truth would not be in us. But, Lord, we know that as we confess our sins right now, you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So open our hearts to receive all that you have for us, Jesus, as you offer us your very self in this gift. And bless our time together this morning as we continue to worship, to sing, to celebrate. May we see your beautiful grace and passionate love. All this we pray in your precious name, dear Jesus. Amen.